All right. Thank you, Christoph, and for uh, coming onto this podcast. This is kind of exciting. Um, and uh, let's start by just kind of introducing you a bit. Um, let me let me provide a brief overview, and then you fill in the details. You are the CEO and co-founder of Pronovix. Uh, Pronovix is a company that, as I understand it, helps develop helps companies implement developer portals. Uh, one of the Correct. one of the uh, ways you often do that is through Drupal and Apogee. Uh, you've also been putting on an API, the Docs Virtual Series, which seems to have had tremendous success and reach. Um, and then, <clears throat> yeah. Do you want to add any more details to that? Um, I, that's a good sum up. <laughs> so, so we, um, so we are a dev portal specialist. So we only do developer portals, which I think, as far as I know, makes us unique in the world. Um, as a consultancy that's fully focused on just that um like there's products there's some uh, agencies that will build you a dev portal if you ask them to but they're used to building websites uh, and um our claim to fame is that we we decided to drop everything else and just focus on this one thing uh, and then go really deep on research uh go deep on community um go deep on like you know do um uh like a an award and the conference seasons and all of that stuff, <clears throat> just so that people can learn uh, as much as possible, uh, and um, and we can we can build better dev portals and and make our customers more successful. Now the topic that I want to get into today um, has sort of evolved a little bit. Uh, you haven't you had an earlier presentation about complexity that mm. you where you talked about it at a very high level. And then you, I recently was listening to your latest uh, presentation on the digital transformation. Uh, sorry, the role, yeah. the role of developer portals in digital transformation that you recently gave in April. And yeah. I felt like you brought that much more down to earth. Um, and and the whole like COVID uh, phenomenon has <laughs> made this topic much more uh, like relevant. I think um, uh, the whole idea that like companies have to transform digitally in that presentation you talked about how how covid has prompt or the, the recent events have prompted companies to shift from physical proximity to digital proximity uh, almost overnight yes uh, can you talk a little bit about that that shift and how do apis kind of factor into this ability to shift so i think uh the way i look at what's happening today with covid um, is that uh, basically we were in this, um, it's not super critical because that's a specific physical term, but, um, you know, when water is boil, like water is above boiling temperature, but because it's so pure, it's not boiling yet. I think that's how in the States that society was in before COVID, uh, like, uh, we had this transition to, um, like all these changes that digital communication have triggered in the way we work, the way we interact with people, just the zeitgeist, um, uh, had created this state where it was not stable. And I think what COVID did was it was a catalyst that triggered that transition and suddenly is like just boiling out. And I think, um, so pe people are talking about, you know, I don't believe that um, these changes that are triggered by COVID, that they're going to be here to stay. And I think that's, um, it's true that just this, uh, this one incident would normally not trigger that, but I think that this is not this, that's not the point. I think it is the change in society that um, that is triggering the change, and discovered is a means for for triggering that change. Um, so, in the, the digital proximity, what I mean with that, this is actually a term that was coined by Matthias Biel. Uh, like we were having drinks um, in Switzerland. Um, like I, I, I've been doing this whenever I visit somebody's hometown. I, I try to go and have a like a chat about uh, philosophizing about APIs and stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and he, um, I, I was talking about the shift from uh, physical proximity to digital experience, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah digital proximity." And I was like, "Oh, yes, this is the perfect way to express it." And um, basically what it practically it means is that um, right now, if you have, uh, like my, my sister, uh, she works in a restaurant. Uh, she's married to uh, the cook and the son of the owner, uh, the owners. And um, uh, they were just going on their merry business. 
and then COVID hits and suddenly they, they needed, you know, they need to survive and they need to change their business. So they started selling online um, they started selling breakfast, they started selling lunch and a bunch of other stuff, which, which forced them to become digital first. Um, and I think this is like the more immediate aspect of digital proximity, but there's a, there's also a more hidden one, which is a little bit slower to kick in, which is the ability to be in somebody else's uh, journey. Uh, so like if somebody has a digital product or a digital interaction that you can insert yourself into that journey uh, and become part of that without having to have like a separate uh, user journey. So that, that's, that's more or less what, what that is about. Yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely, like I, I'm sure everybody sees this need for <laughs> businesses to suddenly make their, their, their goods digital, that you can order them, that you can browse them, that they can be delivered. And, and how do you do that if they, if they're not in a way that can be kind of extrapolated from, uh, into some other system? Um, uh, you were kind of describing this landscape, uh, and you, you mentioned a framework in this uh, presentation called, uh, the, the Cinefin framework. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned like, uh, a mountain and mountain leading to other mountains and dancing landscape. Can you talk a little bit more about this framework and how does it help us kind of understand uh, the situation we're currently in? So uh, Cinefin is something that's very popular in the agile world. Uh, so I've heard people talk about uh, presentations happening in at those conferences. Um, and basically it's a, it's a way to classify problems uh, according to the type, like four types or five types really. Um, they're simple problems and simple problems are like a, a volcano. Uh, you just keep going up, you reach the top and you're done. Uh, and it's, it's very easy to optimize. You, you don't have to understand it. You just optimize. You have uh, complicated problems and complicated problems are like a hilly landscape. And you know, when you're walking through the hills and uh, you might think that you like, you just go up. And you go up and, and it's like, oh, there's a there's a bigger hill like five kilometers away. Like you go down again, go up again. It's like, oh, there's another one further down. And um, so in a, a complicated landscape is a is a place or is are problems where if you have an expert, they can show you the way towards the the, the op most optimal state. Now <clears throat> Again, it's really interesting when you have complex problems because complex problems, they're basically a dancing landscape. So every time anybody makes a step, like any, anybody makes a decision or, or starts doing different, suddenly the whole landscape changes and you're, you're in a new landscape and you have to like figure out like, okay, what do I do next? Um, so, and I think, and, and then there's like chaotic problems and, you know, that you, you run away, <laughs> you try to some, somehow figure out how to make it stop. Um, but um, what I, so I think the two drivers for digital transformation that are happening around us right now are this shift from uh, physical proximity to digital proximity. And the second one is the shift that I think is happening from something that looks like a complicated world, uh, or at least in human scale is a complicated world. Biologically, it's always been a complex world, but that's another story. Um, but where on human time scales, it, you could kind of predict how things were and for like 10 years you were okay and you could have experts that knew an industry really well and they could tell you like do this one thing and you're going to be good and now somehow the time scales have shifted and we're now in this new world where things are happening so much faster and it's so much more interdependent and interconnected that uh, you know I, your competitor in China or somebody that you don't even know about in China does something and it reverberates around the world and it changes your business. And this is the, um, this new world means that, uh, it, like I, I started, this is new, a new metaphor. It's kind of like, you know, the world used to have trees or we, we, you know, we're coming in this today we're, or we used to be in a world where everything were plants. Like all the businesses were plants and you're just like, I'm sitting in my spots. I'm fine. You know, I'm growing and I got a I become a really big tree and I'm happy. And now suddenly animals have evolved and they've got this new nervous system and they're like running around and they're eating you all over the place. And, 
and, and you know, what do you do with that? Like the, the only way you can deal with that is if you also involve uh, a nervous system. And I think that's what APIs are, is this um, information infrastructure that acts like a nervous system to help us to react much faster to what's going around us, uh, on around us, uh, inside of us. And then also that helps us to adapt much more quickly to, um, to potential partnerships and, and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's it's a fascinating kind of, uh, it's a fascinating concept because I've I've heard of complexity for a long time and how complexity differs from complicatedness, you know, this dancing landscape. I make one move and and the the response uh, has a feedback loop that then informs my next move, which then has another feedback loop that informs my next move. It's not like a straight linear thing. We can't predict it. And each step of the way kind of requires us to reevaluate uh, our, our next step. Um, now, and I think APIs are are pretty critical in this. You had another metaphor that I really liked in this presentation. You talked about looking at APIs as a toolbox. Um, yes. <laughs> and part of the uh, first, if you could unpack that, but also uh, the reason I like this metaphor of APIs as a toolbox is because it implies that people can build things with it uh, when when a manufacturer sells people a hammer, you know, or a tool, a Dremel or something, right? They don't always know how, how it's going to be used. Um, yeah. You even mentioned that, you know, uh, we should want to be surprised by how people use our APIs. Can you talk about APIs as a toolbox and how, like, maybe we don't always know how they'll be used? So this concept, um, I did a presentation at a Deutsche Bank uh, in uh, in Frankfurt, um, just before COVID, <clears throat> just before the lockdowns, and um, uh, I was back then. I was like still processing all of this stuff. I'm still processing it. I'm still evolving the ideas and how I talk about it. Um, and during that presentation, I had been talking about that we need differentiated dev portals. That we can't just make this flat interface and and then think that it's going to be grand, like. Um, uh, you know, your dev portal should be like a, a either a high street, shopping street with lots of boutique experiences for different audiences, or at least a shopping mall with different shops inside with different experiences. And um, and Matthias Buscher from from Deutsche Bank, he was like, oh, like he he came back and he's he's an awesome guy. Yeah, he's like. <clears throat> Oh, um, like I've been thinking about this and, you know, it's like a toolbox. It's like, you know, you have like different compartments and you take them out and then uh, there's different tools that are grouped together. And I love, I love that idea um, because it also resonated with uh, something um, that um, uh, Dr. DX uh, had been telling me before. Um, it's, um, uh, yeah, it's a long story, but um, where... Uh, this idea of um, building blocks um, and uh, how APIs that work together, you need to like group them together and explain them together. So you have like have tutorials uh, about um, a set of APIs, and <clears throat> and and you know that that way. Uh, so that's it. It's like if I, I think there's this misconception today that. Um, you can make like an API marketplace and like, and that's a good concept. But the, the problem is that when you tell that to management, they hear marketplace, they think flea market where everybody gets the little stands and it's kind of like the same. And I think that creates this, this idea that, you know, if you can just make a uniform interface for all these APIs that you're going to be grand and that you're going to get a great developer experience. And that's completely wrong. Um, because you have different types of audiences that need to interact with APIs. You have uh, people that are highly technical that need to interact with APIs. We also have people that are really not technical at all that need technical affordances to be able to build these kind of technical journeys that they need for their work. And I think that this is the shift that's happening uh, and that is necessary. Yeah, uh, I mean, this brings up a really big and 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 a topic that's difficult to kind of wrangle this balance between constraints like you would see in a digital marketplace where you're very like constrained about what you can do how you can implement something the requirements and limitations versus on the other end too much freedom and like mm -hmm. oh here's the reference docs build what you want right kind of like like 
to throw in another analogy, um, uh, Legos. My, my daughter was just asking me for Legos the other day. And when you browse Lego kits, you can buy a Lego set that will allow you to build like a spaceship or, you know, a, a specific scene. But the fun part about Legos is if I don't want to build that scene. I can build something else with them. Right. So this balance between, oh, there is a big picture. We want you to be able to build this spaceship. But if you want to just take them all apart and build your own, like, I don't know, rover or something else. It's it's available. Is that is that balance between constraint and flexibility key to adapting in a landscape that's dancing? I think so. And uh, there's a book that I thought was uh, super insightful in that. I need to look up the title. But it, <clears throat> um, basically, the core concept of that book was that um, life is about constraints. And that it's the constraints, it's because there are constraints that you can perform work. So for example, if you have an arm and you take away the bone, which is a constraint for the muscle, it can't perform work. It's just like flubber. Um, and it's, it's because there are bones that are constraining the muscles that they can perform work. So whenever you look around, you'll see that um, it's not the, like affordances are really well chosen constraints that prevent you from making mistakes and i think this is one of the this is um um i think this is this is one way that i've, I've heard uh, apis explained well, that i thought was really interesting was that in the soap era you had this super connected com complicated mess where you had to define everything in your in your calls and it was, it was so interconnected that Anything you did, you could easily make mistakes. And in the API world, we're uh, constraining it more so that you can't make mistakes. So the key, the key advantage is like even Lego. If you if you think about Lego, you have very specific bricks. They are very specific size. They're hyper constrained. Like they're they're exactly the same size of affordances that can click into each other. And it's exactly this constraint that allows you to be so creative. It's the same with creativity. If you if you need to write, if you need to tell a story, it's much easier to tell a story if you're constrained. And uh, it's like unintuitive, un, un actually. But if you're if you're asked to say I don't know, twenty animals, it's harder than uh, if you're asked to to um, um, mention twenty um, mammals, for example, or something like that. Hmm. So so constraints help us to be more creative and productive. And, um, yeah, I've, yeah, I've definitely seen the whole constraint, uh, theme play out just on my blog. Like I know that if people start a blog and they don't have any topic to kind of give them focus, it's actually harder to write when you, yeah. when you don't have like a theme that you're, you're tracing, uh, you know, having some constraints gives you lots more ideas in a paradoxical yeah. way. I'm trying to think of another application where, where this balance comes into play. And I'm thinking of like. Uh, let's say, let's say you've got like a, an in-app purchasing type, type of API that lets people make transactions to buy things. Let's say you create some app and allow people to make payments. Um, and that sort of thing was probably designed to function in an app store, uh, under, you know, very specific requirements about how it will work. Then you have other things come along like Fortnite that says, I don't want to be in an app store. And these other games that say, I'm not giving, you know, 30% of my revenue to Apple or something. Uh, and they start just going off on their own. Now this API, if it were too highly constrained to only function within an app store, it's mm -hmm. kind of dead in the water. But if it has some more flexibility, maybe it allows them to accept payments outside of an app store, that kind of thing. Uh, I, that that balance seems very difficult because how do you even know that that phenomenon are going to happen like like Fortnite suddenly saying we're done with app stores it it's um <clears throat> i think this is partially uh, this is the well i uh, another philosophical concept that i really love is uh, finite and infinite games and uh, there's this concept in the world that or today uh, from an economical perspective, we look at a world as a, you know, transactional, uh, you know, winners and losers, um, you know, competition and stuff like that. 
Um, but there's another way of looking at the world as uh, like an infinite dance where um, you're not trying to finish your interaction with someone, but you're trying to keep it going as long as you possibly can, where um, instead of trying to win the game, we're trying to keep playing the game together. And I, I love that because this is also how I like working with our customers is that we we try to build really long-term relationships rather than just win the deal and you know on to the next one. Um, and I think when you're in that kind of world, when there's sufficient diversity, um, then there can be place for all of that. There can be place for people that are working in the app store. There's going to be place for people that are outside of it. I think you, you might not be able to foresee everything that will happen, but if you can create diversity and you can, uh, maybe through your APIs actually allow for an ecosystem of people that, that are doing the diversity for you, um, then you, you, you might be able to adapt to things that you didn't even know that was go were going to happen. And the key is that um, if you look at, at life, like living systems, it's not that there's one winner. It's not the survival of the fittest. It's survival of the sufficiently fit. And it's always um, a collaboration and uh, this creative interaction where multiple players can play together and expand the markets and expand the value space together. Uh, and then, you know, and we're constantly dancing on the dancing landscape and, you know, we, we're, we can't, there's no solid ground. Everything keeps changing. Um, yeah. This is, this is such a different perspective than I think uh, a lot of technical communicators have sort of been trained with. Um, usually we, we get a product and the first thing we want to do is a task analysis to know exactly who are the users, how are they going to use it? What's, what are the steps to actually implementing that? Give me the, the picture, you know, how's this thing supposed to be used? Um, we don't really think about like, hmm, it could be used in lots of different ways. And, and we don't think about like diversity of implementations. We think about simplicity. Uh, what's the most straightforward, easiest way to implement it in the way the, the project product team designed it. So it's a totally different way of sort of thinking. I, I want to come to another theme you were talking about a lot in your presentation. <clears throat> you, you talked about this pitfall uh, that many developer portals make with a spray and pray kind mm. of uh, strategy where basically, as I understand it, um, people develop an API and they just kind of throw it onto the developer portal and, and walk away. Uh, and there's no kind of interdependence or relationship or larger strategy about how it's supposed to be used with other APIs. Can you talk, just tell us like, what is spray and pray? Well, why is it something to avoid? I think the, I think spray and pray is the direct result of uh, an API or an organization with APIs that doesn't have an API strategy, and unlike and, and you know it's very easy to to be black and white, and to some extent you have to evolve your strategy and you have to like throw a couple of things so um, to the wall and see what sticks, but I think um, there's this misconception that is being created by, by the API marketplace concept, or you know, this concept of the, the flea market where I can levy a tax on transactions and I'm gonna get rich, uh, which is never the case anyway. <laughs> but uh, but um, um, there's this concept that has been uh, sold to, um, to business owners. So and what they're what they're expecting is like, okay, we're gonna do this API program, we're gonna take all the APIs from the organization, we're gonna put monetization on it, and then we're just gonna make money. And 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 like and then basically what you get is this interface where every there's like lots and lots of APIs that are undifferentiated. Um, um, often naming might be a problem. And it, there's there's no real strategy about who you should be targeting with what kind of APIs. It's just basically a one long washing list of of things that maybe might work and maybe might not work. So I think I see quite a lot of that, and I think that to to get well, it's the first thing is to get your organization to adopt APIs, make that work. But then as a next step, you also need to think about like what is going to be the business alignment. Just your, your goal cannot be to have a lot of APIs. It has to be um, differentiating different 
sections of your API strategy that fulfill business goals. Like you might have a, a couple of API platforms that enable specific um, new economies or, or um, communities. Uh, you might have uh, an ecosystem, like an internal ecosystem. You, you might have like very simple affordances for uh, non-developers so that they can do things that are technically challenging and stuff like that. Um, I think that's that's how I, I look at it. So, you know, this is a, a, a topic that kind of strikes near to my heart and I haven't really figured out figured out how to how to solve it. But uh, I feel like I'm, I'm in a position and I think many tech writers are in a similar position who are working on developer portals where we support a lot of different independent autonomous teams. Hmm. Um, a lot of companies these days are like giant companies with little startups everywhere because in order to compete in this landscape that keeps shifting, you need to have small, autonomous, agile, exactly. credit owner teams that can be quick and make decisions and execute, right? But the consequence is that then there's lack of communication. They're like cars driving without communicating with other cars, and you hope they're kind of driving towards the same direction, but sometimes they're not, you know? Uh, so this seems like a, a, a dilemma. If you want to compete, you need to have small teams, small autonomous teams. But if you do so, then you end up with spray and pray where you don't have a larger coherent strategy where things are harmoniously fitting together uh, from the from the perspective of a, of a top-down vision, which then gets us into this other part of complexity theory about like emergence. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on this balance between small teams versus larger coherent strategies and Maybe those coherent strategies just emerge intelligently uh, on their own. So the way that we're trying to address this right now, like, and this this is a new shift in the landscape that we felt like this year that we really started seeing, is uh, we have large players that come to us that ask, and they, they want like a central API marketplace where they are going to have all their APIs for discoverability and findability purposes. You also have individual teams that have their own little dev portal that could be, you know, for the start, could be just a copy of some sort of stock uh, microsite, but then that they can then further evolve uh, to to make it their own and to adapt it to the experience that they need for their specific audiences. So you can like target different types of audiences where you kind of like boutique experiences. And this is what I mean with the the high streets with um, little boutique shops kind of experience where. Uh, you can, like when you go and look for APIs from company XYZ, uh, you do find the main portal with all the APIs together, um, but then it points you to a bespoke experience that might be better geared towards um, the different kind of um, user journeys that you might need for a certain type of affordance. This is this is what we're currently working on. And this is, a, I, I'm really excited about it because um, like we see this with um, large companies that need to adapt to regulatory constraints in local markets. We see some of this. Uh, we see some of this um, maybe in large companies where they, they want to build like API products and some more bespoke experiences around this. And then, yeah, I, I think you, you need to balance, you need to balance between, I, I think the main reason for having a central portal is discoverability and findability. So you need to make sure that all your APIs are discoverable and findable. Make sure you have one interface for all of it. But then you could also think about the, the content infrastructure and the information architecture to give that a little bit more um, freedom. Like um, one of our customers called it a federated uh, approach where you have like a federated, a federation of dev portals with um, like one, one dev portal to rule them all um, maybe even with uh, governance uh, systems in place and stuff like that. But then you have these smaller dev portals uh, that, that can also be owned by, by, by one team uh, so that they can yeah, adapt faster to, to the local circumstances. Huh. Um, I, I like the boutique metaphor in the mall. It's like, a, it's like <laughs> we keep making metaphors, right? But I, uh, I like that one a lot. <laughs> and... Um, that again uh, highly describes my scenario. Like our our developer portal, where I'm at, uh, in order to try to like appease the different teams with their own uh, sense of autonomy, uh, has led us to to make a lot of different micro sites where they can choose their own header, footer, 
and they kind of control their own little space within a larger mall. Um, and, you know, as tech writers, we help different microsite teams uh, publish. Sometimes we don't. They just publish on their own. But uh, I think the, the realization now is that it's sort of a hodgepodge experience from one microsite to the next like a mall, right? It's like, wow, you go and you see one store that's got like a complete hipster vibe and another that's got like a modern urban vibe and <laughs> others that are like a, a, a discount shopper vibe. Um, you know, is this a bad thing to allow this uh, diversity? Does, I mean, the World Wide Web is just a, a miscellaneous grab bag of different styles. Does it work for a company or is that bad? <laughs> I, I think it depends on how you approach it. I think if you have um, if you have the right constraints yeah. around this, um, then uh, probably you can allow for adaptivity. I think this this is this is the this is the learning of of complex adaptive systems is that you you need to create the system that is adapted to its environment. And then you need to trust that the system will perform properly. Uh, and like you have to let it do its own thing. And, and then sometimes it will fail, uh, sometimes it will succeed, uh, and then it will learn from it. And, and it's this, the key is the learning. Like we have uh, one of our oldest Dev Portal customers. Um, they did this fantastic transition from a pure product company to uh, like a significant portion of their business being APIs. And uh, they uh, basically they have different people responsible for different sections of their dev portal, like as business owners. Um, and it, there's like still coherence, but there's also adaptivity and learning uh, that is spread throughout the organization. And I think that is the key: is that you um, you you cannot. I think that as tech writers, what we need to become is uh, an affordance that helps others to perform work where we enable others to be more productive uh, rather than the ones that are doing the work and that are kind of like the the um, the gatekeeper that the information needs to flow through mm. um and if you if you can set up the right uh, constraints and experiences then um i think that's yeah that's how how you can adapt and and there's going to be failures there's going to be sometimes things that are not working out well but i think if you if you create one single monolithic system i, I think this is again about complexity like what this is what we actually see when we built when we build one single system for an organization and then there's different um different groups that have different requirements for that system then sometimes that means that you're building it more and more and more complex until you have this really complicated mess that mm. that just becomes hard to maintain so it's better to to try to i i think in a microservice versus um monolith story i i like the idea of microservices uh which is basically you know microservices okay don't go overboard because <laughs> you know you're gonna have an orchestration problem but um uh, but build microservices, which are chunks of functionality that fit together, uh, fit together well, um, that are focused around a certain job. Like it's not one single job, but it's like a couple of jobs that are related to each other, um, and uh, and that can evolve together. Because it, this is also how biology does it. Um, our genomes, um, basically all our genes, um, like every time you build a new living being or a new living being uh, grows, um, all the genes need to work together with each other. And if there's, a, if there's something really wrong, then it just fails. And that's, that's a, a creature that will not be. Um, and it's, so it's, it's almost like um, testing that is happening live in production, <laughs> but that, that's how biology is doing it. And I think it's that um, the coherence of constraints is what you're looking for. Is like you're you're uh, looking for the the right methods to try out a whole bunch of groups of constraints together to see which ones are going to perform the best, and and you can't centralize that because when you centralize it, you're not going to do the same learning, and 
Um, yeah, and, and at the same time, you need to make sure that that there's a there's a second layer of uh, like an emergent layer uh, on top of that that is still bringing all the information together, but while still allowing uh, for for the activity on the local level. You know, I, I had an experience recently where I feel like this sort of um, <clears throat> scenario really played out. Um, we were trying to define. Our, our release process for SDKs. When a team has like a new SDK they want to push out, we realized we actually didn't have a formal process for doing it. Um, and so we we started to write out a document that would say, look, you got to push, if it's a Java file, you got to push this over to JCenter or Maven because you know we don't want to be the ones managing it and this makes it easier for developers. We thought, oh, this will work. And it kind of worked with one team but then the other said, well, you know, uh, like our stuff isn't always a jar file. Like it doesn't fit in that, in that scenario. And others had like open code that would fit better in GitHub. And others were like, well, this is uh, cost prohibitive due to the licensing for enterprises for us. You know, we just want to have our file on an S3 bucket. And so it was like, you know, we tried to think about, oh, let's have a top-down policy. This is going to be how, this will be how everybody releases their SDKs and it yes. just falls apart without that flexibility, right? And I feel like technical writers were often caught in this, in the middle of all these different teams trying to publish onto the developer portal. And we have to figure out, well, do we let team A do it like that? Whereas team B does it like like that in a different way? Do we try to federate some kind of standards? Because, you know, at the same time, you don't want just everybody doing their own thing uh, you want to have consistent terms and styles and you want to have you know some kind of federated search so it's constant sort of interplay between uh standards and flexibility it's uh it's interesting space i think this is what life always does it's always this creative tension between two opposing things where you can't go to the full extreme on either of them there's always like you, everywhere you look this is where um, where the chaos of life plays out, uh, and I think this is this is just a, another repeat of that pattern that we're seeing in business. Um, it's um, and there's like different forms of it that will survive and that will be okay and and maybe even be productive, um, but then you have to like leave space for. I think I think it's often about creating space. And it, it, one of the key things I've learned as a as a manager is that um, if you, most of the time all you need to do is create space for people to to grow and to become, and um, and I think it's something similar like uh, Arno Loret, um, his uh, handle is API Handyman. He has this um, he did this talk about API like governance, and uh, because he's like the Mr. API at his company. And uh, he, basically what he said was, I realized that uh, we can't just dictate, like we can't just dictate a policy because people would come with a design that I was like, what the hell are you trying to do here? And then I said, I, I would have a talk with them. And then it would turn out that actually it totally makes sense. <laughs> and, and like, and I learned something. And I think, I think that's the, um, I like this from uh, a book uh, from, um, uh, anyway, I'll give you the list after, after the, the podcast, but um, a book about complexity and managing in complexity where um, they said that dealing with change management and helping organizations to evolve in, in a complex environment, you have three mechanisms. You can change the container, like change the team size or team team group or or like what kind of teams you have. You can create a super team or something like that. You can create meaningful interactions, um, like um, and or, or yeah, like you you have this transformative interactions where you are discussing with people, or you creating you're creating conflicts almost where people are learning through those conflicts. And then the last one was, wait, containers, transformative interactions, and meaningful differences, having, having diversity and creating space for diversity. Um, and if you, if you change any of these three, 
your system will start adapting and become more adaptive. Um, and uh, and that was that was a really interesting um, tip. I like this is uh, Eo Young is uh, one of the writers, and I'll look it up for you. Uh, you know, you, you've you've read a lot in this in this uh, area. I know your your previous presentation that I was also mentioning was more that was more conceptual. You had like I don't know six to ten books or something on this topic that you've been reading into. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's I. Now during COVID, I'm reading a lot less, um, but I, yeah, I like being exposed to new ideas and uh, I'm looking for new patterns that, that that I can then bring back to the business. Uh, it was um, um, organizational, it's uh, facilitating organizational change by uh, Edwin A. Olson and Glenda E. O. Young. Um, okay. It's a really, really good book. I love that one. Yeah. Well, we've been chatting a lot about these topics and I'll, I'll link to the presentations and other resources. You've also written about this. Um, and you, you've, uh, I just have one more question kind of that I'm hoping you can share this API, the docs virtual series is one mm -hmm. of these, uh, new things that you guys had never done before, right? Nobody had ever done a virtual series like this in the format you've done hybrid format. And, uh, you know, with the online presentation, followed by interactive Google Meet, followed by podcasts and recordings and so forth. Um, how has it played out? Do you have like more more viewers than at a regular one day API the Docs conference? Or is this something that after COVID is over, it's like, yeah, we're going back to our old format. So it's been very interesting, like because we were really early with this, um, like what, the moments even before the lockdowns, we were like, this is changing everything. Like, powwow, what are we going to do? <laughs> and um, uh, like we, we closed the company, the office before uh, lockdown started. And, um, and then also like fairly quickly, we were like, we're not going to be able to do our conference. And then we were like, okay, what are we going to do instead? Um, and because we were so quick um, with launching this, we actually saw a growth of 20% in our mailing list, 20%. This is a mailing list we've been building for uh, five years now in one month, which is crazy. And um, also like our, our, the people being present, like we, we normally sell out at 250 seats, uh, like, because we, we have like in the first season, we had a limitation on our technology, the number of people that could, could attend. Um, and, um, yeah, so, so we, we are reaching more people. Um, I think we are, we've been having a more meaningful impact. I, I think that there still is something for physical events. So I think we will, uh, I don't know yet exactly how we're going to do it, but I imagine that maybe we'll be doing both. Um, because I, I like that this, this is democratizing access, like, uh, anybody in the world can now, and um, you know, access the events, which is great. Uh, you don't have to have the money to fly into Europe or, or the US or, you know, uh, or wherever we are organizing it to, to be able to attend. And that's great. At the same time, the experience is different and we're still looking for a better technology stack. Like there's some new tools, uh, but it, I, I don't think that um, the same serendipity and the same emotional connection that you get from a physical event that you can get that from a virtual event. It's much more fleeting and um yeah and so it's i think uh, there's good in both and I, again it's about adapting <laughs> it's like if you're if you're quick in adapting any problem can be um can be a resource uh, uh, your biggest problems become your biggest resources um and it's uh yeah it's always been like that uh, through throughout my career and it, it becomes more and more like that actually well, it's definitely cool to see you guys experiment with different approaches and technologies and to see what works. I, I personally have been sort of watching it especially closely because I've been trying to figure out how can I make my API workshops that I've been doing that were in, in person one day, something that actually works online. So I've been kind of observing and, you know, what do I like? And it's hard. And I think, as you say, 
you have to experiment and adapt based on the feedback that's coming in to figure out a different strategy. And, and the landscape is changing. You know, I can barely even uh, have any confidence about planning an event two months into the future because I have no idea what's going to happen in two months. Maybe, maybe it's all back to normal. Maybe we hit that second wave and like it's five times worse. It's like very difficult, which it just underscores the whole like dancing landscape. Maybe dancing is too kind of a word, right? It's too, too, too <laughs> nice, delight. It's too much of a nice image, you know, it's sort of like dancing lava or something. So, <laughs> yeah, definitely dancing lava too, like today. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, um, uh, one thing I firmly believe in that I've seen through like oh, happen over and over again in my career is that I would have this long-standing problem that I cannot figure out how to solve. And then comes around another problem and suddenly the solution becomes apparent for both the new problem and the old problem and they cancel each other out. And I have this over and over and over again. So I think the, the key is to um, to not to see obstacles as something that is limiting you but as a trigger for creativity like how are we how are we going to respond to this so that we can increase the value that we provide and this this is this is what we basically said is like so how are we going to help our community to get through this thing and uh, and two two things came out of that one was like going digital with api docs and then also the the podcast that we started api resilience which is basically about telling the stories about, um, uh, you know, telling stories about teams where the business has decided to continue investing in digital and in APIs and, uh, and dev portals and documentation. And um, uh, so that our, our community has those stories that they can go to their managers with and say like, you know, don't cut my budget because you're going to be really sorry in five years. <laughs> um, and that, that's, that's kind of the, the, the idea and then uh, and if you if you look for what is the mac how can i maximize the value that i can create in the world um uh, there's all like you, you need to be a bit savvy and you know you can't give everything away but um uh, normally there's always a path that guides you to your next thing and then um i so i think i think that that would be the what 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 would digital workshops enable you to do that you otherwise can't do yeah, uh, mm. like I, there were. I, re, I listened to a podcast from um, a couple of sales guys, and they basically started a virtual event where they had a lot more people attending, at a lot, lot lower ticket rates, um, but they could afford it because it was just you know you didn't have to go physical. There was a, a bunch of things that were different because of which it, it became possible. Uh, so I think I think that that would be my advice um, to deal with that problem. That's a good, that's a good perspective to have, right? Instead of seeing the challenges as like roadblocks and obstacles, opportunities to like, uh, do things in a new way or different way, or what can we do differently? You know, as you said, what can we do differently in this new medium that we couldn't do in the past? How can we exploit it for a better result? Um, it, it's also like the, um, everybody is getting those roadblocks. If you're the first to adapt, you're way ahead of the game. <laughs> so if you're, um, so every obstacle literally is an opportunity to grow your business and to become stronger. Uh, actually, life thrives from obstacles. It's it's our long history of obstacles that has brought us where we are today. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, one other interesting thing uh, is that given that everybody else has basically canceled their event, you know, whereas you went forward, it's like suddenly everybody had attention for your event, right? It's yeah, like yeah. everything else is canceled, but Hey, here's API the docs and I got nothing else to do. So, uh, it's like a perfect opportunity. It, <laughs> it's, it's flipped again now. Like now oh, yeah. there's so much events that oh. it's changing again. So our, our next move is uh, we're going to be more focused still. Like we're thinking about um, topic XYZ in, in um, markets um, ABC mm -hmm. or something like that. So that we have like hyper-focused events that are really relevant for one or two audiences uh, to um, 
to keep people, you know, that if at least they come for one of the occasions, uh, if they yeah. don't, uh, if they don't have the time or the energy to to be there for all of them. Well, uh, as we wrap up, is there any topics you wanted to cover that we didn't, or did we cover everything? Uh, I still want to do a shout out for Cristiano Beta because I, I call that Dr. DX and that's, that's Cristiano Beta and to Robin Meissner at, uh, Cristiano Beta works at Box. He's a DevRel, um, guy. Uh, he's awesome. He's got some interesting ideas, uh, around developer experience and friction. Um, he, he, the friction law comes from him. Um, and uh, Robin Meissner, who works at TUI, um, who gave me this um, analogy of, of uh, APIs as um, like, like SOAP, but things that don't let you fail, that limit you from making failures. Uh, I want to attribute those to. Um, otherwise, I think, um, but that's a whole other podcast. I got a, another topic <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I know you probably, you know, you know, and just so listeners know, like all these questions I'm asking Christoph, I didn't, I didn't give him any of these questions ahead of time. I had, we had a whole other sort of uh, previous <laughs> script and I was just like, I just kind of threw that out the window and went with, with this other direction. So like you, you're able to speak on a lot of different topics ex extemporaneously without much preparation because you're such a deep reader and thinker. So that's a definitely uh, a good thing. <laughs> um, Christoph, how do people get, how do people find and reach you? Like if they want to follow you on Twitter, or if they want to like know more about anything, Pronovics or API the docs, where should they go? Um, so I'm cave on Tomme at, uh, uh, on Twitter. Um, so Christoph uh, is my first name and Van Tomme is my family name. And it's, um, oh, it's a Dutch name, double M E. Um, our company Pronovix, you pronounce it perfectly, which is a, a wonder because most people <laughs> just completely mangle it. Um, uh, so if, if you go to pronovix.com, you can find more about our business and, and the work we do in, in DevPol space. And then um, API the Docs is at apidocs.org and the DevPortal Awards is at devportals, uh, devportalawards.org also. Uh, so have a look at those and they're interconnected uh, in the landscape and, and yeah. If anybody wants to have a chat about any of these subjects, I'm always game. Uh, it's a, uh, yeah. Great. Well, thank it's, you so much. Thank you so much for coming on the show or having this conversation with me. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for the opportunity. It was, uh, it was fun. Uh, it was a really good chat.